All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris Papa. And I am your other host, Lisa Flicker. Oh, wow. I think, I think we got that down. That's, that's our new intro. Uh, and today we spoke with the CEO of the Orden Company, which is also Thrifty Oil, Mr. Andy Sands. Andy uh, has a long and illustrious career within the real estate industry, and he's worked at some large institutional shops like ING, Lowe, uh, Carmel Partners, and now he runs the real estate uh, uh, for a family, basically, one of the largest uh, privately owned uh, family offices in Southern California. Yeah, I think he's in a good spot to be able to take advantage of whatever is coming up in this market, having all that cash and the long staying power of the firm. So, right. uh, Great guy. Really great guy. It's really cool how like Thrifty Oil, they started as a gas station company and then became a real estate company. I love I love how people kind of flip the script. Right. Right. Well, it's uh, on the land, right? He gives a great tip of, of the best way to to become a, the best real estate professional out there. Uh, if you're early in your career, he, he, he gives some really great advice. So uh, please check out the podcast. And with that, please share the podcast with your friends, rate and review. And if you have any questions, please shoot Lisa and myself an email and uh, questions or suggestions. Uh, please shoot us an email and we'll answer it. So appreciate that. And with that, have a great weekend. Well, Andy Sands, thanks for coming on the podcast today. You are the uh, a CEO of the Orden Company, somewhat newly named, right? That's correct. Yes. How are, how are you today? Uh, doing great. So uh, the Orden Company, which I previously known as Thrifty Oil, or maybe still is somewhat. Um, can you tell the world about your firm? Yeah, absolutely. Um Yes, uh, we have a new brand. It's called the Oregon Company, which became effective uh, January 1st of this year. Um, we own a number of, or we have a number of affiliates. Uh, probably the one that people know best is Thrifty Oil, uh, which has been around since uh, 1960. Um, some of our other companies include uh, Golden Springs Development, and uh, Best Gas uh, is another company of ours, but um, uh, we created a new platform uh, called the Orton Company after our late founder, Ted Orton, and his wife, uh, Hetty Orton. And, um, uh, you know, essentially being known as an oil company today is, is not great branding. Um, and we, we're, not, we're not an oil company anymore. Um, right. We started out as a uh, owner and developer of gas stations, and we became uh, known for our thrifty brand. It was one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, privately owned operated gas station business in the United States for many years. Uh, and we also got into the refining business um, to uh, vertically integrate um, that that business. but. Over time, our, our business changed, and um, uh, we stopped managing our gas stations. We we shut down the refinery, which we really didn't have for very long. But we shut down the refinery, and uh, we had a lot of very uh, valuable land um, in primarily in Santa Fe Springs. 
And on that land, we started building industrial properties. And um, that really changed our business model. And so while we still own gas station sites today, which we uh, lease out to uh, in the likes of Arco and Speedway uh, and other uh, operators, uh, we don't operate the gas stations, um, uh, but we own a lot of sites that are that are very productive for us and uh, value will be valuable for us in the future. And we were, uh, I'd say, our, our business has morphed into a significant industrial development uh, business mm-hmm. and operating business. So we we build uh, industrial warehouses here in Southern California and in Georgia. Um, these are, you know, state-of-the-art institutional quality warehouses, um, and that's become, you know, very significant business for us. Um, we, we also own uh, office buildings and shopping centers. Um, we have a significant investment in solar. Um, we, have built, we have a billboard business. So we do a lot of different things, um, yeah. which, you know, we're fairly, a fairly diverse company. Our largest food food group being industrial. So, uh, Oregon Company is our uh, operating vehicle where we house our people, um, and it oversees the acquisition, development, property management, and servicing of all of our various business lines. So they started out. I mean, we I come from the New York area, so there's a lot of people that like started out in another industry, right? Like the garment district. A lot of these big families, they, they, they are, they're in the garment district and they up accidentally started buying these buildings. And all of a sudden they realized, holy smokes, well, you know, if we're not in the garment district, we're in the real estate business. And is that similar how it started? Like, Hey, we're not in the gas station business. We're in, uh, we're in the real estate business. Yeah, kind of. I mean, we always owned the real estate, uh, under the gas stations and our philosophy and that of our, our brilliant founder, Ted Orton, has been to buy real estate in good locations and um, never sell it. So it, it's a different strategy than the private equity model today. Um, you know, we we buy real estate, we develop it, and we own it forever. And uh, yes, these stations, um, many of them are still being most of them are still being operated as as gas stations. But you know, the world is changing with electrification and some sites are not as good as other sites. And, uh, we put shopping centers on these sites and, and now we're, we're getting into the, um, multifamily business as well, because a lot of these sites that we own are in in great markets on nice corners. And so, um, yeah, we've, we've, we've just realized we've learned. And I guess that was part of Ted's strategy originally was that if you own good real estate, in the right locations and you hold on to it, uh, the use may change. It will change. And we're constantly trying to optimize our portfolio to figure out what that highest and best use is for every asset we own. So it's, it's super fun. It's, it's really an entrepreneurial, uh, business. Um, and there's just so many opportunities, uh, and the world is changing. And so we've got to adapt to that. It is a very interesting world. And I do agree when you look at the lands and you think about it'll always have some kind of use, right? Who knows what that will be. And uh, every second somebody's born. So they always, someone will always need a place to live. 
That they can't live in the metaverse, yeah. right? <laughs> yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> We're not in that business. We're not in the metaverse business, but uh, all things real estate we touch <laughs> in one way or another. So when you joined Thrifty as the CEO, what was kind of the the mandate? Did you come in for any were things kind of status quo or were you coming in in order to kind of re reshape the rebrand the firm? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. You know, the, the company had always been run by the family. Um, and, uh, and the company grew, it got, you know, we've got a significant portfolio and, um, you know, a decision was made to bring in an outside, uh, CEO. So I, I'm, I've been fortunate enough to be, uh, that person and, um, you know, to bring a fresh view to, uh, running, operating the company and the real estate and building really on this, uh, amazing company. I didn't have to, I didn't have to create, um, you know, the wheel, but I've, I've been put in a position to help take it to the next level, uh, which means, um, Figuring out, you know, the next real estate trends and how to optimize our portfolio, um, you know, and evaluating our teams and, um, you know, how we do business, um, you know, all of our processes within our organization, mm-hmm. um, the structure of the organization. Um, so uh, it's it's been a really fun challenge to. Uh, continue to try to evolve this organization and our business plan. So how do you do that? So you have a company and we, we have a lot of clients like this who are um, run by a family. They have some processes and procedures in place, but now you want to create the succession plan to make it not a family office, but a an entity that can go forward and stands on itself. Obviously bringing in an outsider is, is the first step, but but what do you think is yeah. the key to kind of your success? In well, the world? look, the company is already a great company, but you know, my objective and the, and the objective of family is to continue to make this a, a sustainable and enduring organization. And uh, to do that, you've got to turn over every stone and look at how we do things, um, and, you know, bring a fresh perspective. Uh, empower people, have very clear roles and responsibilities, make sure we have the right people, that we're all rowing in the same direction. Um, you know, it's not a private equity model where we're trying to, uh, you know, uh, create carried interests and sell assets. It's really a slow and steady conservative model. Uh, we want our organization, our company to be a great place to work for our teams. Um, you know, it's, it's about having a great culture. Um, and so it's a different model. I've been, I've been in the private equity business most of my career. And so this is really, uh, it's really nice to um, be afforded this opportunity um, to work in a different kind of model where it's forever. It's multi-generational and um, we don't have outside investors. We don't have outside partners. We don't have those types of pressures. Um, but it's very important that, uh, we treat people well, the family, the, um, 
culture. It's always been about our people and taking care of our people. And um, I'm just trying to continue to do that, but uh, bring more process uh, and some new ideas to, to how we do that. I love that. And so how big is the organization? How many people do you have there? We have about 65 people and we're okay. a very, very efficient organization, uh, given all the things we do. And we're able to do that. Uh, you know, we don't have, for instance, <laughs> investor relations. We don't, we don't need people for investor relations. Um, we, we do our own property management, uh, which, uh, allows us to, you know, provide the services, the customer service to our tenants, uh, and be a, a best in class operator. But, you know, we try to, we try to have properties in, you know, we, we do, we have a lot of net lease properties, so, um, it's more efficient to operate, but we do have office buildings, a small part of our portfolio. So we try to have economies of scale and the locations and the type of properties we invest in and um, not have to have a bloated organization. I think it's really important factor for us is staying efficient in, in what we do. And uh, by having geographic concentrations for where assets are and having a lot of assets that are net leased, we have a number of single tenant type buildings um, you know, had we ha if we had a portfolio that was full of office buildings, it would be very different. Office buildings are really difficult to manage. Um, so, you know, we've, so we've got, we've got to stay efficient, uh, and that allows us to have, you know, a lean, a, a relatively a lean operation. Let's, let's, you're, you're speaking about your background in private equity. Like what, let's, let's talk about you a little bit. Like, did you uh, like growing up, did you have an interest in real estate? Like, did you even know what really real estate was like how, how did you get into the, how did you get into this world uh you know it's, it's a fair question some people know what they're gonna do you know you come out of college and they're gonna be a doctor or an engineer or they always want to be a lawyer scientist or go into engineering um that those i didn't or a musician or an actor <laughs> you know right that's i never had lisa was lisa wanted to be an accountant that's what she was <laughs> I know, which is kind of crazy because if you knew yeah. me, you would know that is the craziest thing ever. But I did do it for a while and uh, lived to tell the tale. Right. You tried it. So for me, I, I was always interested in business and finance. I mean, I liked the details of transactions and I like to learn how business models work. And, you know, I got a taste of it. You know, my family, my parents were lawyers, but they always dabbled in real estate. Everyone, my uncles, they were all in real estate. And so I got my real estate license during college and worked for one of my uncles uh, during the summers, helping them um, sell homes. Hmm. And so I got a taste for it. And then when I um, got out of college, I went to work for a developer as an analyst. And I really like that. I like doing the modeling and um, figuring out the numbers. So it, it really felt rewarding to do that. And so I, you know, I just felt like I'm just going to stick with this. I'm going to do one thing. And that's my advice to people today, which is <laughs> pretty hard for them to swallow in a world where jobs are changing and industries are changing so quickly, which is, at least for me, was 
pick one thing and be good at it, right? If you if you, if you know you're, if you're not going to be the doctor or the engineer, you know, pick something and get really good at it and master it. So that's that's what I wanted to do. And so after I got that first job uh, working for a developer, I worked my way through the industry. And while I didn't have a very uh, specific plan in terms of where I wanted to get ultimately. You know, the real estate, you, you can do so many things in real estate. There's so many angles within real estate. And so I just, you know, I gravitated towards the principal side of the business. And so I worked my way up um, through that. And I found that there were plenty of opportunities. And so I tried to make the most of those opportunities, which has led me to, the, to this point where I'm at today. Yeah. You mean you worked with some big shops, but you worked at Lowe and then, uh, at Carmel partners. So, I mean, were you, did you have a certain asset class? I know those, I think there you're focused on mainly multi, right? But there, did you, did you have, have you looked, have you seen a variety of asset classes throughout your career and investment strategies and yeah, all that type of yeah. stuff? So when I got out of, uh, business school in 92, I, you know, the market was still recovering, uh, from a massive recession and SNL crisis. <clears throat> and so I, I, knew, I knew there was a lot of distress because uh, banks had taken back, you know, so many assets and the banks were being taken over. And there was this thing called the RTC and, you know, the FDIC, they had accumulated all these assets they were going to sell. So I knew there was going to be a reset uh, in terms of valuations in the real estate business. And I wanted to get on the principal side. And so Back then, um, in 94, when I joined ING, um, you know, they're a big Dutch company and that big balance sheet, they said, let's go out, you know, and with your team, let's start buying distressed assets. And so it was every, every type of real estate. It was back in that day, you know, multifamily wasn't a huge business. It was mostly about uh, office product uh, and distressed loans and there was retail. And, uh, so the opportunity back then was to buy distressed assets either, um, from the banks or buy their portfolios to buy loans, uh, do workouts with borrowers. So I kind of, I learned the distressed business and it wasn't really based upon a product type. It was a very broad based, um, uh, learning experience. And so you buy a distressed asset, whatever it is, you could, we bought a portfolio of say a hundred distressed assets, summer loans, summer properties. And then back in that day, which is very different than how things are done today, you had to asset manage these assets. Um, so you had to work them out. You had to figure out what you're going to do yeah. with these properties. And so um, I learned all the different food groups at that point, you know, Whatever the product type was, I was willing to do it. Whatever the whatever the capital structure was, I learned the capital structure, and I had to learn the asset management side of the business, which I thought was super valuable. So I was an analyst. I was I was an asset manager. I was an acquisition person, and um, so that gave me a very broad base. I think one of the issues today that people have is that jobs are really narrow today. Uh -huh. um, you're you're a asset manager or you're an acquisition person or you're only doing multifamily or you're only in the office space or you're a developer or uh, you're a lender, right? 
Um, so, so today people are, have a very uh, narrow learning experience and it's, it makes it more difficult to kind of pivot into different areas uh, when the markets change. And so, you know, right. I, yeah. maybe I was just lucky. I just, maybe I was just lucky, right place, right time to have gained all that experience for all these different property types. So over time, um, you know, as markets changed, you know, we adapted. So what started as investing in office buildings and distressed loans, at some point, it, it, you know, we started moving into housing and, you know, population growth, um, economic drivers, uh, all, all kinds of changes in demographics. And multifamily became very interesting. And, you know, at some point, it was a little bit of the handwriting on the wall, which was like, wow, office buildings are, you know, are they going to be uh, in high demand in 5, 10, 20 years, you know? But housing, people need a place to live. So naturally, for me, I made a bit of a pivot into uh, focusing a little bit more on the apartment space, investing in apartments and developing apartments. And it's interesting when you think about, you know, being through a few cycles and seeing kind of the the various phases of workouts and coming in and out of of different economic cycles. But at the end of the day, what I I love your thinking about is that it practically people will always need a place to live, right? You know, so or you know, or these overarching themes, which I think once you once you get experience in the business, you feel comfortable understanding that it's more than just the finance. It's more than just the spreadsheet. It's, you know, kind of putting in the the real facts and figures over the years and knowing when to think history is going to repeat itself versus when to think something new might be happening. Yeah. And, and I always, I, I, when I mentor uh, younger people, I tell them to look at the, the bigger trends that are happening today um, and try to figure out, uh, you know, how they want to um, direct their career that, that might work with some of these big trends, whether it's, um, you know, aging of the population, um, electrification, healthcare, um, uh, the sciences, um, you know, uh, transportation, logistics, um, you know, trends in uh, population trends. There's just so many things to think about, and um, you have to you have to um, understand the big picture, um, so you, so that you know that your path is viable. Uh, AI, <laughs> AI is a whole new thing, right? Oh um, yeah, man, things change quickly, right? Um, so yeah, I, you, you got to be aware of the big trends, and sometimes people forget. They don't, they don't, you're just too close to it. You don't realize that all these big trends, all these big changes are happening in society today. Um, but it's helpful. It's helpful to think about it. And when you go to school, when you go to get your education, um, you know, you can get a liberal arts uh, education, but uh, I think you also want to figure out, you know, in this world where industries are changing very rapidly, technologies really changing, uh, moving quickly. Uh, how to position yourself for the changes that are that are coming, and um, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for young people, and it's a challenge. 
know, people aren't committing to families and getting married at young ages anymore because they don't they don't know where they're going to be working or uh, what their financial wherewithal is going to be, whether they're going to be stable. Um, you know, they're just like holding on for dear life, like, wow, I'm going to try this job today and who knows what's going to be tomorrow. Right. I have three kids and I and I'm going through this with my kids and they're like, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in six months, but I'm going to take this job right now. So. Right. And also, how, how do we use real estate now? Like, different, you know, use, how do we use it differently than we'd had before? And um, also, uh, like, yeah, I mean, real estate. I mean, I, I think I was at a NAOP event the other day. Maybe it was Carl Shannon. I don't know if you know him from, from Tishman. Yeah. I think he was saying like something along the lines of, you know, that, you know, advising young people like now's a great time to get into real estate. Like, you know, like when things are a little bit down and you're investing in distress uh, and learning how to do the workouts and, and learning how to, you know, make deals work. And when, when it, the economy is going great, the economy is actually going great. When the real estate market is going great, like it's, uh, it's easy to do deals. Right. Um, and so now it's like, how hey, you learn. And like, do you feel like all that stuff you learned at ING just made you a better investor going forward? hundred percent. hundred percent. It is a great time. There are so many opportunities that are they're coming in front of us. I mean, it's, it's really very interesting, but a lot of companies are struggling. And so they're right. not hiring in real estate as much as maybe they did you know, in the last couple of years. So things are slowing down from hiring standpoint. Uh, you know, a lot of investors are really, you know, feeling the pain. They're licking their wounds. If you own office buildings, you might own floating rate. You might have floating rate debt on apartment buildings. Um, maybe you own hotels, maybe you own industrials, but things are changing. Things are changing rapidly. And, um, it is a very good time to get in the business. If you can find a job where somebody can be taking advantage of, of kind of the distress on the market today, it's, it's a great opportunity. It's an amazing opportunity. You know, capital is constrained today. Most companies um, don't have a lot of capital. They rely on third-party investors. Um, it's difficult to get debt today. So a lot of companies are kind of on the sideline. You know, uh, we're fortunate enough to have a very good balance sheet, and it affords us a lot of flexibility to take advantage of some of these opportunities. So we always find we come out of these uh, distressed markets you know, stronger than we started. And so um, if you can find a company that has that kind of strength and stability and can be opportunistic, it's, it's a great place to be. Whenever we evaluate companies with candidates, we spend a lot of time thinking through just that. And, you know, the, the staying power that your company has when you have that dry powder to invest, that's kind of, that's king, if you will. But tell us a little bit more. A lot of the people who listen to this podcast are people who are either starting a career in real estate or thinking about starting a career in real estate and perhaps they're students. In your opinion, if you are advising your children or some of these mentees that you have, what, where do you think you would kind of go if you were starting out today? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. And that's a conversation I have probably weekly with people that I, I 
provide advice to and I try to mentor. Um, I try to find out what people are interested in doing, right? Like, you know, are they analytical? Uh, are they sales oriented? Uh, they want to be the broker side of the business. Are you, finance, are you interested in finance, the lending side of the business? So there's a, there's a lot of different areas mm-hmm. and I try to narrow it down with people a little bit to find out where their interests might lie. And they may not even, they may not even know, but I tell people the best experience is to, is to understand real estate operations. How does, how does real estate work on a daily basis? Right. I mean, you could go in and learn how to, you can be an acquisition person and do models and um, try to underwrite deals based on the parameters and target parameters. But I think the best experience is to uh, maybe the asset management side of the business, which is learn how to operate real estate, Mm. right? Learn about working with tenants and learn about, um, you know, the day-to-day operations of the real estate, um, the physical part of the real estate, uh, working with vendors and contractors um, and uh, servicing your, you know, tenants and so forth. If you can understand how things really work, if you can learn how to read financial statements, your property operating statements, if you can get really get granular and understand it, I think that's the best base for real estate. And then you can go from there. And it's not always easy to pivot out of the asset management side of the business. Some people stay in asset management forever, but others, you know, want to get into the acquisition investing side or fundraising side. But once you understand the fundamentals of real estate, I think you've built a base that you can go anywhere with. So I, I always advise people, you know, try to try to learn real estate. And then the next question is, well, what kind of real estate <laughs> do I do? I do office buildings? Do I do apartments, industrial, hotels, retail, land? So it's all interesting. Um, again, I, I go back to kind of long term trends and where you want to be. Um, and, you know, I think housing is is obviously notwithstanding all the, the regulatory issues uh, that's being imposed upon housing development uh, today. I think housing is is a great area. I think, you know, anything in the logistics space is is critical. So if you look at the long term trends and uh, and also where we've come from, um, you know, it might lead you into into those areas. But, you know, you got to find out what what interests you and. Um, there's plenty of opportunity in every product type, in every space, in every market, as uh, long as you have the right skills. Um, and so, um, but this is a good time. I think, you know, notwithstanding how difficult it is for everybody, distress creates opportunity. And um, so I think it's very, very interesting time if you can get a job, right? You got to yeah. get in and you want to find the right job. And, and sometimes you got to take a job that you don't maybe, uh, really love or really want, but you got to pay the bills. So you, you got to balance those. Yeah, that's where we're doing a panel at Fordham University of the real estate school there. And it's about like 20, uh, Gen Z workforce type of thing. And like, I think every generation is kind of like this, but yeah, like it's like sometimes you have to take a job you don't want, <laughs> yeah. which is, you know what I mean? That's how I became a recruiter. I didn't want to be a recruiter and I actually love it, but uh, you know, it's, 
And it's a, it's a stepping stone. There's like, you know, sometimes you got you to go backwards a little bit to go forwards type of thing. So, um, yeah. yeah, just I get think, any. You know, young people are young people are very idealistic today, which is yes. which not a bad thing at all. But, you know, they uh, want to work. From, a lot of people want to work from home and they want to do exactly what they love, which is, you know, I have, a, I have one of my kids is uh, he's really into video games and he's making a career out of it. And I, I always poo-pooed it because I, I was never a video game uh, person. But um, you pick something. It doesn't have to be real estate. It could be video games. It could be anything. But you dig in really hard. And, uh, you know, you get you get a job. You get paid to learn. And um, at some point, you need to pivot out of that role into something uh, that, that is next in line for you or something that's going to help you get to where you want to go because you're going to figure it out. You're going to say, oh, I don't really love doing this, but, um, I can use this to kind of springboard into the next thing. And so, right. um, you know, when I, when I worked at ING, I spent 14 years there. I don't think anyone spends 14 years at a job today. And, and sometimes I look back and I say, well, why did I stay there 14 years? Well, I liked it. I liked the people more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but in retrospect, you know, I, I probably could have sprung into something else, uh, a, another opportunity and propelled my my maybe my career a little faster. Um, but people today, young people, I think they're just going to take a job and then they're going to just go to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And so it's just it's just a different time. It's just it's, it's just a different time. And they're very idealistic and they don't want to compromise. And sometimes they're interested in kind of what the outcome is going to be before you dig into the work. Right. Which is just a bit of a problem, right? Like, well, what's in it for me? What, what are you going to pay me if I do this work? Whereas back in the day, it was like, you do the work, you dig in hard, you learn the skills and you see where it's going to take you. And ultimately you're going to get rewarded for that. So yeah, I think, I think people have to be patient. I have to remember to be patient today. I think that's right. There was something somebody sent me, um, a little video where there was a Gen Z person asking their employer to say thank you. And they're like, well, don't you appreciate this? And don't you appreciate that? And you don't say thank you. And the employer said, the paycheck is the thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And I think there, that to me, like in that moment, I saw the difference between my children's generation and ours. So, yeah. Yep. And what, so what's going on with Thrifty? You guys uh, have any plans over the next couple of years um, in this market? Yeah, we're, we're really active. Um, you know, we're, you know, we're seeing a slowdown in construction. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of new supply in the industrial and multifamily areas. I, I think it's, you know, the market's got a little bit saturated, but uh, given where financing rates are today and the cost of construction and, additional regulation that's being imposed. Um, you know, we think there's going to be a slowdown of new product delivered into the markets. And so, um, you know, we're, we're going to, um, uh, continue to develop our sites. We own a number of very good sites that we're entitling. And, uh, so we're building industrial, this will be class A industrial in our markets, Southern California, primarily in Georgia. Um, so we've got a number of projects underway uh, that we're, we're moving forward with. Um, we're also going to be building some housing, uh, multifamily uh, in infill urban markets. 
Um, and, uh, you know, uh, the office stuff that we have, uh, fortunately, it's a small part of our portfolio, but, you know, continue to uh, try to optimize performance for existing properties, the leasing, um, you know, at our office properties, you know, tenants want to see that you have uh, a property that is got the right amenities. So we're adding amenities right. to our properties. Um, we're improving the way we operate. So we're we don't we're not changing anything we do. In fact, I, I think for us, there's there's we're seeing better opportunities than we've seen in in several years. So it, it's an exciting time for us. But you know, obviously, we're going to be very cautious as well. Right. Well, Andy, are you ready for the? I know that we've been asking you some hard questions, but now, are you ready for the hot seat? I don't even know. That's I don't response. I don't know what the hot seat is, but okay, I'll go. The hot seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofit startups and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So. They outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. That means you're ready. I mean, you can't be, well, the answer is you can't be ready. There's no way anyone can be ready. <laughs> Do you have a do you, do, do you have a book or podcast that you could recommend? Just in general, it doesn't have to be anything life changing. Yeah. Um, I like to listen to the New York Times podcast. Um, you know, the Daily um, is uh, something I enjoy very much. You know, podcasts are something that are that are somewhat new for me. Yeah, and I'm I'm definitely um, I'm really glad that I'm getting into it. I go on walks and, uh, or I'm, I'm picking drives and, um, I'm just finding that I'm, I can, I can use that time to, to learn and grow. Um, so, um, I, so there's a number of podcasts, uh, not that I can all remember, uh, right now, but, um, you know, I like to read a lot. Um, uh, so, you know, I like fiction, so you know the world is a very serious place. Right. So I enjoy, uh, I enjoy books. I love music. Uh, you know, music is uh, something that I enjoy. I play a little guitar as a hobby, and oh, cool. Um, you know, well, listen to music. jam. You guys have both play guitar. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a dad, yeah, I'm in a dad yeah, band. Totally. I'm in a dad. Band. <laughs> oh, you're in a dad band. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, if you, you work hard and, uh, and you kind of like to relax and regenerate the batteries and play hard. Um, so spend time with family. Nice. 
Excellent. I'm going to I'm going to add in a new question here Uh-oh. because it's it's <laughs> there's a lot of talk in the HR community about mornings and what a successful business person does to set themselves up for the day. And I'd be curious to hear what your mornings look like. Uh-huh. Um Yeah, so I like to get up early. Um so I I'm typically up around 5ish and I would say by six, I'm on the Peloton for 45 minutes. And during that time, I'm reading all the news, you know, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the LA Times, Bloomberg. I'm getting through the evening's emails, catching up on everything. I'm watching, um, you know, the news. I'm watching CNBC to see what's going on in the markets. Um, and maybe a little bit about, you know, politics and the world and wars and everything. So I try to do that during quiet time. Sometimes I'll, I'll get up early and go for a hike, um, and to be outside, go for an hour hike, uh, where it's quiet and I can think through things. I, I like that a lot. I like having quiet time to kind of problem solve uh, I think that's when uh, I can work through the noise in my brain and try to settle things down. And then I use the time, you know, when I'm driving um, to the office and we're headquartered in Santa Fe Springs. That's probably a 45 minute drive. And I, I use that time to um, have phone calls and also to listen to news. So I'm, I'm obsessed with um, kind of, you know, what's going on in in, in every part of the world, yeah. uh, and especially business, you know, I like, I like, uh, I like podcast, real estate podcasts and listening to, you know, leaders in the industry. Um, so, uh, yeah, the morning time is, is important. I like to get stuff done so that by the time I get into the office at, you know, eight 30 or whatever it is, um, I'm, I'm ready to do my, my day job. You- and I wonder are successful people, do they use their mornings because they do or or because somebody uses their mornings do they become successful but it's it's definitely a common thread so no more idea. to come on that I, I i have no idea i just can't sleep so i get up i get up <laughs> early and, and i and i want to uh i just want to get going so. i love the mornings I, i'm a big morning i don't like going i'm not like a night guy i used to, i mean i guess my 20s i was a night guy but i was i slept a lot um <clears throat> You mentioned a lot, you, you're mentoring some younger folks and, and just talk to younger folks. What do you look for in general when, you, when you're hiring people? Is there a certain sort of overall type of skill set or attitude that you're looking for? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good question. Um, I think it's both. I mean, it, it, I think cultural fit is very important for us. So... Uh, you know, we're going to invest in somebody, uh, our time and resources, and um, we want to make sure that they're going to be a good fit for our organization, um, that they have the right <clears throat> set of values uh, that are consistent with what's important to us as a smallish private company that, you know, feels like family. So, yeah, um, finding the right person. And then, um, you know, usually there's a, you know, a specific role 
that is requires some kind of expertise, whether it's just using Excel and running numbers to, you know, HR or being a developer um, or property manager. So, you know, we like people that um, have some experience that is uh, practical for the position that we're trying to fill. But we're not afraid of also training people that are good fit, um, that have the right attitude, uh, that have the right energy. Um, so um, we're looking for all those, you know, all those things. You know, one of the challenges that we see today is that we talked about this earlier is that people are moving around in their jobs a lot. You know, one right. one year here, two years there, six months, and so we we look at that and we it's a little it's a little bit hard to assess someone that hasn't stayed anywhere for very long, right? And so um, does that mean they're just going to come to our place for six months or a year or two and then and leave? And so we're looking for people that you know will be committed to our organization and you know want a career path. So. When we're interviewing people, we, we just we got to find the right chemistry. You know, we just have to find the right chemistry and believe that there's a, a commitment to us and equal to the commitment that we're going to give to them. Yeah, no, that's hard to that's hard to assess that when someone's background historically doesn't look like they they stay a long time. Like what's what's different? I mean, it's usually as a recruiter, there's usually unless there's like a really good story, there's usually a trend there. And uh, yeah. You know, or there's smoke, there's fire. Or it's like <laughs> dating someone. It's like, oh, historically, they've always cheated on all their spouses. But not me. I'm different this time. You know what I mean? <laughs> that type of thing. Why would, yeah. you know, so. Um, and so I guess the last thing I'd love to end by asking is we, this is the Impact Real Estate Podcast. We've talked about you mentoring. Have you had any mentors in your career that have really helped set you up for the wonderful career you have? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, well, it's changed over time, but, um, when I got into the principal side of real estate in the, the early to mid nineties, I did meet, um, two guys that I went to work for this guy, Tom Sternfield, who had been at Solomon brothers and Peter Moister, who had been at uh, Morgan Stanley and, uh, I, I was really lucky. They, they were, they were great mentors. They pushed me hard. They taught me a lot. They invested in me and I'm, you know, forever grateful to them for that. You know, and I think over time it's been harder to find the right mentors. Um, maybe that's just part of getting skilled yourself and you become the mentor. And so, um, um, I'm still, I'm always looking for mentors and frankly, you know, this family that, um, has given me this amazing opportunity to run their, their company, you know, they, they are, you know, to a certain extent mentors, uh, to me. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, but finding, finding people that you can learn from and, um, can help guide you is so, it's so important so important. And, that, and, and I like doing that. I like being a mentor to um, young people because they need it. They really need it today. Yeah. I love like, I've thankfully I, I work with a bunch of like Lisa, I, we kind of have like a, 
a senior leadership, we don't kind of, we do have a senior leadership team and we all kind of mentor each other, which is great. Um, That's super important, super important. Without a doubt. Well, Andy, well, it's great to get to know you better. Thanks for hopping on the podcast. Have a great weekend. And I appreciate uh, you guys having me on. And, um, you know, I've worked with you guys and your organization. So you guys did a great job for us. So um, and I look forward to working with you guys more. And uh, let's uh, let's stay close. I want to hear uh, you guys got your finger on the pulse as uh, doing what you do. You're kind of a barometer for uh, yeah. the economy in many ways. Well, it's a good time to be an asset manager. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I recommend that. I recommend That's that. That's right. There you go. <laughs> it all comes full circle. There you go. Thank you, Anthony. It was so nice okay. to connect with you today.